Let's read together John 17. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those who, have, who you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you, have, you, have, you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may, may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And you sent me into the world. I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. 
Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that, I have, that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Well, thank you once again for having me here. And it's good to actually meet up and be here. Let's pray before we look at this passage. Father, we thank you for your word which speaks to us through the ages. We pray this, this word might penetrate into our hearts and our minds, that we might obey you and live more closely for you. We pray that you'll challenge us and comfort us this morning through it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What do you think of when you hear the word glory? Maybe a sporting triumph. I often think of Usain Bolt's 100-meter world record and the glory that he achieved by running so fast and no one's beaten it quite yet. Maybe you think of an act of great heroism in war or something like that. Maybe you just think of plain fame and renown. Or is it actually like the elderly Chinese pastor that Jane and I met when, when we were serving in China? A delegation of Christian pastors came to visit us in our flat and welcome us. And there was an elderly pastor who told us how he was arrested during the Cultural Revolution and paraded through the streets bound in chains with the dunce's cap on his head and people throwing things, abusing him as he walked through the streets. But he said his crimes were printed out and pinned to his um, shirt and the, it said that he was a Christian and a Christian pastor. And he said that this was glory. This was glory, he said. This was great joy to bear witness to Christ. Was well, that glory? Well, you may think that Jesus actually turns the meaning of glory upside down in this passage. Now, God is marvelously glorious in himself, of course, in what Isaiah 2 talks about as the splendor of his majesty, as the creator who effortlessly flung the galaxies into space in all their glorious, infinite beauty. But God's glory goes even deeper than that. His glory is something that we just wouldn't expect so what is glory? Jesus prays in verse 1, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. The hour is the time of the crucifixion. Before in John's Gospel, the hour had not yet come. It was not yet the time, but now it is. Immediately after this, Jesus is arrested and he's crucified. So the time of glory is about, about salvation. Jesus' glory is going to be the cross. He's praying that he may be crucified. That's what he's saying when he says, Father, glorify your son. He's saying, let me go to the cross. And what is its purpose? That people may have eternal life, life of the age to come. In this way, Jesus glorifies his father as people come to know him, as people are rescued from sin and darkness. Verse 2 explains how the Father gave the Son authority. We often think of authority as being the boss and making all the decisions. 
But here is given authority for one purpose, to give, to give us eternal life. You see, God's glory consists in saving people, or better, giving them the life of the age to come, giving them life of the new age, the kingdom of God. Because eternal life, Jesus says, is to know God, verse 3. It's his life, God's life, that he shares with us, relating us to him. To know God is to experience him for who he really, really is, as glorious, absolutely glorious in self-giving, sacrificial love. We see this glory in Jesus. That's his true identity. It's who he really is. You know, the great philosophers of the world, the ancient Greek philosophers, Plato and Aristotle, and religions like Islam think of God as perfectly remote deity, unmoving, unfeeling. But God, our God, is the, um, is the only God who gloriously takes on wounds for us. As Isaiah 53 says, he was pierced for our transgressions. By his wounds we were healed. God is not the unmoved mover of Aristotle but the deeply moved mover, the one who was so moved as to enter into our suffering and our sin. We see this plainly in Jesus. God in Jesus was rejected and brutally crucified on the cross. And it's there that he took our God-forsakenness so that we can be forgiven for our rebellion and our sin. And God is glorified as people come to know this saving glory. John saying that the glory Jesus sought is the finishing of the saving work that he came to do. You see, the cross wasn't just a doorway into glory as if he had to get through the bad parts to get to glory. No, the cross itself was glory. The glory Jesus had with the, with the Father before the world began in verse 5 was God's eternal purpose to save the human race. This was the glory of God in Jesus. And the peak expression of it was now coming about. Jesus says in verse 4, This was the work that you gave me to do from all eternity, which Jesus is now about to finish. So glorify your son is a reference to the working out of his glory through the shame of crucifixion. It stands as a great pinnacle, a great majestic peak towering over all of history below it. It's the starting point of a new trajectory, a new pathway for the world. The hour, the turning point of all history, the event that ushers in the beginning of the kingdom of God. That day has come in Jesus' crucifixion. So amazingly, it's a cross. It's a cross. Glorify your son means see it done, finish the plan, finish the eternal plan. Now, this was no emergency plan that was hastily erected when things went wrong in the world. It was God's plan from before the beginning, from eternity. From eternity past, God's nature, the nature of the God who is the glorious creator of the whole remarkable universe. His nature is to serve and save at cost to himself, granting people the life of future eternity undeserved grace so jesus seeks glory in the last place that we would look for glory the glorifying of jesus means he's dying that's where your sin and my sin were dealt with where god brought down and destroyed the barriers between humanity and himself 
And having brought glory to the Father by finishing the work you gave me to do, he prays in verse 5, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. What happens then? The Father leads Jesus to the cross and then raises Jesus to the supreme place of the universe as Lord of all. And that's not all. He brings us with him into his glory, into fellowship with him, into unity with him. We catch here a glimpse from eternity past to eternity future. And where are we in this? We're right there at the center of his purposes with Jesus. God is indeed a glorious God. Well, that work continues as Jesus now prays for his apostles in verses 6 to 19. Listen to what he says in verses 6 and 8. I have revealed you to those whom you, you gave me out of the world. That's the apostles he's talking about. Verse 8, I gave them the words you gave me. You see, they've been chosen. They've been given the words given to Jesus, words of eternal life, words that speak of who Jesus is and what he's come to do. And that's about God's plan for the world and for humanity. So he prays for them because they have a special task in God's plan for the world, to be the ones, the first ones to bring the gospel to the world. And that brings glory to Jesus. Verse 10, Jesus says that. He says, glory has come to me through them. Jesus is leaving the world and returning to his Father. Verse 11, so he prays for protection by the power of God's name, the name given to Jesus from the Father. He has God's name, Yahweh, God's special covenant name, the name above all names that Paul talks about in Philippians 2. Not that he didn't have that name before, but now he's seen by all as God in all his glory as he goes to the cross. The apostles, of course, will need God's protection because just as the world is opposed to Jesus, so it will oppose them and their message. And we've just seen that in that video, haven't we? Verse 14 and 15, I have given them your word and the world has hated them. So verse 15, Jesus says, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. See, protection doesn't mean hiding and huddling in the corner of a church so that we can all be safe. No, it's not even leaving the world and going to heaven. It's for being protection for being fully engaged in the world for the sake of the gospel of Jesus. He prays for protection for his apostles, that they have protection from the world. At the end of the 19th century and the beginning of the 20th century, with the onslaught of liberal theology, numbers of evangelical Christians avoided certain professions, fields like economics, journalism, philosophy, and other academic posts. These were seen by many as being very worldly and very dangerous posts because many people gave up their faith listening to philosophy lectures, for instance. But that was a great disaster for the church because it left these areas godless. It left them without Christian witness. So here Jesus prays for protection as they speak his words faithfully, that they may not give up, that they may not compromise the message, that they won't be silent, that they won't be intimidated by opposition. So he prays that they be one with each other to serve God as his new people, 
the same aims, the same purposes as the Father. The context of unity here is to be united with the Father for the world's sake. You see, the whole drama of God's dealing here with humankind is for one purpose, verses 17 to 18. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So here Jesus prays, sanctify them in the truth. That means set them apart. It's probably a better translation here. Set them apart for the truth, the truth that really matters, the gospel of Jesus. They're the vanguard of the new creation, members of God's new kingdom. So he prays that they be set apart for that great mission Jesus gives them. It's Jesus' own mission. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. As Jesus sends them into the world, he gives them the greatest and the most glorious mission of all times. You see, mission is to bring the glorious light of Jesus to a darkened world that is ignorant of the the riches of God's grace. It's God's own nature to do this. Well, Jesus moves to pray now, not just for his apostles who have a special place in God's plans, but he prays for us as well. He prays the very same things for us. But before looking at that, first, did you notice the parallels between the disciples and Jesus? The Father and the Son are one, and they are one. The Son is set apart, and they are set apart. The Son is sent, and they are sent. The disciples parallel the Son's nature in being sent. There's a chain, a a sequence going on here. The Father sends the Son and gives him the words of eternal life. The Son then sends the disciples and gives them the same words. And they have handed them down through the centuries to us so that now we have them, the New Testament gospel message. And that moves us to verses 20 to 26 as Jesus now prays for those who believe in him through the apostles' message. That's us now. He prays that we'll also be one, united with God in Christ. And what for? For the same purpose, verse 21, so that, for the purpose that the world may believe that you have sent me. See, we have a mission, and it's glorious. In the eyes of the world, of course, it's not not glorious, just as Jesus' death wasn't glorious in the world's eyes either. But it means death to yourself and many of our desires. But by God's grace, we are the light of the world as we declare the message and deeds of Jesus, who is the true light of the world. And in so doing, we reflect Jesus himself. We reflect his glory by participating in his kingdom work for the world. The glory of Jesus belongs to us as well. You see, we too share the mission and glory of Jesus. Verse 22, I have given them the glory that you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. Being one means that Jesus' glory is worked out in our gospel service, in our mission. In a previous chapter, Jesus washed his disciples' feet. It's amazing, isn't it? He, the Lord of the universe, regarded himself as a servant of his brothers and sisters and washed their dirty feet. But Jesus' glory meant being a servant. And it's what glory involves for us disciples as well. How could it not be if our Lord went this way? Our service testifies to God's love. 
We reflect Jesus in this as in all things. Verse 23. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So Christian people, in their selfless love for one another and in their tireless gospel speaking, are a sign to the world that God has sent Jesus. This is the glory of Jesus. Jesus says, I want them to be like me, to let the world know. And that's our mission. So the chain continues as the message is handed on, father to son to the apostles, to us. Verse 26, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known. Well, how will that continuing word happen? Well, it's only going to happen by us going out and speaking the words of the gospel to those around us. We see here God's eternal purpose that God is creating one new people for himself who reflect God's suffering glory. We just need, I think, at the moment to stop and wonder at this point at the greatness of, the glory of such love from Jesus for us. Marvel at the personal intimacy he has with the Father, creator of all, but shared with us at ultimate cost to himself. We need to be in awe of his care for us, for you and for me, that stretches from eternity to eternity. And then we need to wonder at the mission that's given to us, to you, to me, to reflect his glory. Think of the glory of Christians serving as he served us, to be his people and to have his love poured out upon us, to be in him in partnership and participation in him and to see his glory as we share his sufferings as we present the message. So you see, the Chinese pastor who was arrested during the Cultural Revolution was absolutely right. To give Jesus glory is to see the love of God in action in our lives, in mission, bearing the disgrace he bore. That is God's glory. And it's a theme running all the way through this passage, isn't it? That God, although he is glorious in, in, in himself as creator of all, is not so glorious that he cannot kneel down in humility and serve. That is the glory. Who could have ever thought it? Who could have ever thought that God, the creator of the universe, who is so far beyond us, would send himself and his son to die for us and take the sin upon himself? How amazing is that? You see, we're so self-centered. We think of glory as fame and recognition. We even want our children to be famous. But what we get when we see God truly is not mere shining fame. That isn't the Bible's picture. It's a cross. As I said, how, how amazing that is. God, glorious in giving grace. The Bible's picture is the Son of God dying for you and me on the cross and then being raised from the dead to bring us into relationship with the Creator God, to share in the very life of God. There's the power and the wisdom of God. It looks so weak, so degrading, so shameful, so distasteful as far as the world's concerned. And maybe it does to you as well, quite wrongly. I remember when Jane and I were about to leave and go to China, and we're going to a big unknown because we, with our mission, were the first to go there. We knew we were going to go to a place that had no running water and no electricity. And a couple of days before we left, we were walking around a, a science fair 
in the city. And I heard my name being called, and it was an old colleague of mine, because I, I was a, a scientist before I went into theology. And I met this colleague that we were neck to neck. We started our PhD together in, in physiology, and I left to go into theological college. And he sat me down and he told me all the things. He, he's president of this company, he does this and this, and he goes around the world doing this, and he's on this United Nations panel and things. And then he said, and what are you doing? And I had to say, I felt about this small. I'm going to spread the gospel in China and live in a very difficult situation. And it jolted me because it meant I had to work through what I was doing and to realize it wasn't a humiliation. It was glory. Who cares what committees you're on? What, what matters is the truth of the gospel and that people are out there needing to hear that gospel. Well, what God's glory is, is brought at immense expense to himself, bringing men and women to know him, into unity with him and with each other. That's the ultimate achievement. God's glory is the superabundance of his love, the love of the Father for the Son before the world was made, that pours out and spills out over to others, to us. God's beauty, you see, his glory isn't remote and forbidding. It could be. His glory could be so shining and so remote that we could be intimidated by it. But his glory actually gives pleasure and rewards with joy and love and grace. God does this because God is this, because from first to last, he alone is glorious, full of love, grace and mercy, which he shares with us. As asked, in the interview whether it was worth it and yes it does it, it is worth it it is glorious well, this is what it means to say God is glorious God's glory is the beauty of his divine life fully outshining in which God gives himself to us this is his glory revealed in Jesus sent to die for us who could have imagined it no one would have made this up you couldn't the God of absolute splendor, stooping down low, being a servant for us. So let me ask you, has that glory touched your life? Has it really touched your life? Have you realized how great it is? Has it turned your idea of what really matters upside down? It had to for me. Has it set, your, set fire to your dreams? Or do you still dream the old dreams of getting more money and getting a better position and getting a bigger flat? How can it not set fire to our dreams if we understand Jesus and his glory? You see, we're made for glory, you and I. Even those of us who think of ourselves in the, in the most unexciting ways, you were made for glory. But it's not a human glory. It's not the esteem of others. It's to bring ourselves in line with God's eternal purposes, which is to bring us to himself and then to send us to bring others to know him and his glory. Just over a hundred years ago, C.T. Studd was a famous cricketer, a brilliant Cambridge scholar, and very, very rich. Well, he became a Christian at Cambridge and gave away his academic career, gave away all his money, and went as a missionary to China and then India, and finally spending the rest of his life in Africa in very difficult circumstances. Why did he do it? 
we famously said, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. See, the glory of the cross isn't a distant glory out there somewhere in eternity. It's a present glory that turns human life upside down, that causes men and women to act like that. Glory, you see, isn't the, the Christian who's some famous sports person whom we love to parade at our, our evangelistic rallies. No, it's the lonely missionary, faithfully spreading the gospel year after year after year after year amongst the unresponsive. It's the lone academic standing up for Christ in the midst of ridicule. It's that isolated office worker witnessing to Christ despite the scoffing that goes on day after day. It's not what the world calls glory, but that's what's of ultimate value. And let me say that it is the only thing of lasting value in your life. Mission is participation in the, the dramatic and glorious movement of the beat of God's own heart that sends his son into our world. So mission is glory. Glory is mission. And I pray that you dream and live for that glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are indeed glorious in the splendor of your love that gave and gave unto death. Thank you that your glory lies in the message of the cross. Thank you that you have sent your Son into the world with the same glorious message and sent us. Forgive us for seeking our own glory and help us in all things to glorify your wonderful and gracious name. Amen. Thank you, Lindsay. Well, as we start to draw our service to a close, we're going to watch another video uh, to highlight some of the mission partners that the church supports. And then immediately after that, we'll have the worship team come back up and lead us in our final song. Uh, when we're having our final song, we will also be collecting the offering. Please, if you're a, a visitor, don't feel any uh, obligation to, uh, to give money or any embarrassment about that. That's just an opportunity for the church family to support the, the ongoing work of the church uh, and those it supports.